0: Welcome back to Cinema Adventure. We're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. And this week, <laughs> this is the last episode of our Wes Anderson director spotlight kind of series, our Wes Wednesdays. Guess that is, yeah, West yeah. Wednesday. this is it. This is the last one. So it's this the last is last Wednesday
1: la- of Earth. <laughs> it's the last Wednesday of Earth. Earth <laughs> is canceled. It's over Thursday by oh, twelve a.m. Thursday. There's no more Earth.
0: No more Earth. That's it. So here we are. We're doing Isle of Dogs. Wes Anderson's newest film from two thousand and eighteen, The Year of Our Lord. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so, you know, most most of the time I start an episode by asking you, you know, Oh, Blank, have you seen this one before? But I can't <laughs> do that this time, so I don't know what to do.
1: You know, that is sad. We don't have our fun little Yeah, I don't segue, get to I, I don't get to
0: hit you with the fun banter at the beginning of the episode, so we'll just have to actually talk about the movie.
1: Yeah. I guess we can tell the audience that we did see it like when is this coming out? <laughs> this is coming out next Wednesday. Next so. Wednesday, wow. So we'll say we saw it the day that it was widely released in theaters. The
0: first day it was available to us in Seattle. first day
1: it was available, we saw it at a theater that had, how tall is it, three stories? Three stories. We climbed many stairs to get to the screen to watch Yeah, I
0: got on one elevator and you looked at me like I was a maniac. Oh, the escalator? Yeah, Yeah, escalator, excuse me. I feel
1: like I never used the escalator there because I don't trust it.
0: So as we know, Wes Anderson movies are usually incredibly star-studded, but this time it's kind of over the top. It's more than more than the usual oh it's so much more than can the usual. i just go down the list and say some of the names sure. like rapid fire let's do it brian cranston edward norton bob balaban bill murray jeff goldblum uh kira Ta- takayama excuse me greta gerwig francis McDormand, scarlett johansson harvey Keitel, f Murray abraham yoko ono tilda swinton <laughs> ken watanabe it goes on and on and on and on it's angelica incredible. houston a but lot of returning who is angelica people angelica in this angelica played the mute poodle and it says what? in parentheses, <laughs> voice? So that doesn't make any <laughs> that sense. That doesn't make
1: any She plays a mute. Okay. I feel like IMDB is playing us right now. Yeah, I think we might have been tricked. We might have been duped. And of
0: course, <laughs> the, the main character, uh, Atari, is played by Koyu Rankin. Yes. Shout out to Koyu Rankin's mom who follows us on Twitter.
1: Oh, that's her. Okay. I was not positive. Because yeah. when you said like some person followed us, I was like, I don't know what any of those words mean. So now I know. And it's funny with a lot of those actors because they don't really – a lot of them don't have big parts. I think Anderson, he just has some friends in high places, I guess, that just want to support him. I mean, Tilda Swinson has two lines maybe, and that's it. Yeah. I wish we had more, but I think people would just take a small paycheck, a tiny role, just to say they were in a Wes Anderson movie.
0: Her character is so funny.
1: I love her character. Her character is really great. I want a spinoff just about her character. Yeah. I need to know what that – For the listeners at home, Tilda Swinton voices a pug, who is able to interpret television, and so she's called the Oracle. Yes, which is exciting. I think I could be called an Oracle based on how I interpret. Based on the amount of movies that you've seen. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Exactly. Aiden, do you want to give a a brief plot description for people at home? Because. I don't want to. And you I totally know, just yeah, it that it's way. funny.
0: I almost I'm so tempted to just quote exactly what the trailer of the movie does, because it basically summarizes the problem that's presented in the movie. It's like, yes, the, the Japanese mega city of Megasaki is plagued by a canine flu and all the dogs are sent away from Japan to an island called Trash Island. Yes. And then the narrator says the Isle of Dogs. Yes. Yeah. It's which something like
1: that till now i do not realize which you said you also recently realized that yes i love dogs it's just people saying i love dogs which is i'm so mad that i just realized that because it's so i've just been saying i love dogs forever that i'm just i i do love dogs a lot but you know i've just been saying it a little extra without yeah. realizing it you've been tricked maybe that was anderson's goal he wanted people to really spread their love yes. a little more
0: <laughs> so there's One of the dogs that is taken to the island is this dog named Spots, who's owned by the mayor of Megasaki. Yes. And Spots is sent away after being assigned uh, as a guard dog to this young boy named Atari, who's Mm -hmm. the the mayor's ward. It's his nephew. His nephew, yeah. Yeah. So Spots is taken away and sent to the island, like, as a gesture of, oh, I'm going to do it because I'm the mayor and I'm the leader. And then all the other citizens, they send their dogs to the Mm -hmm. island to die because they all have this horrible canine disease. Anyway, uh, once the, the young boy recovers from his medical trauma that he suffered. Was it a car
1: crash? Yeah, it was a car crash. Tragic. he's orphaned, yeah. Yeah. Poor kid.
0: After he recovers and realizes that the dog was sent away, he's like, I'm going to get that dog back. So he flies a tiny little plane and then he crashes it and crash lands on the island where he meets a, a pack of dogs with various famous people voices, such as <laughs> Bill Murray and Edward Norton and Jeff Goldblum. Yes. And then they help him track down his dog. Yeah, and at the same time, there's another plot going on with Greta Gerwig's American transfer student character who uh-huh. is trying to speak with scientists and find a cure for the dog flu.
1: Yeah, she because she like, loves dogs. Yeah, and she feels like there's a conspiracy at hand, and so she wants to emulate Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein because why not? That's that's it. I'd I I say that's about it. Yeah. I don't know Good if we summary. need to like
0: spoil <laughs> any more of it. I'm sure more plot points will come up just as we talk.
1: Yeah, although I'm sure, like, even think I don't even know if there really is spoilers. I think it all unfolds kind of as you would expect, very predictably. Yeah, which is fine. I don't expect like a plot twist. No, uh, No. it's not an M. Night Shyamalan movie. As as interesting as that would be to see a stop motion M. Night movie, but I'm just
0: imagining the happening in stop motion. Wow,
1: I've never seen that. I've heard it's
0: horrible. Oh, like, it's one of those that's so bad, it's good.
1: You know, the whole is Keanu in it. No. Who's in it? It's Marky it Zoe Mark. Dechanel? Oh my
0: god. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel and Marky Mark.
1: Gotcha. Hmm. I can't picture it.
0: Oh man. It's so funny. It has that I trailer where the it. guy gets his face run over by a
1: lawnmower. Ew, what? Yeah. See, I don't want to see that. Oh, I mean, you don't see it. It's, it's implied. I don't even want it implied. I want the whole to do plot with of it. that movie is that the
0: trees are angry. Yeah. They, they start producing a pollen that makes people kill other people and themselves oh wow
1: that's like really dark lorax in the lorax do the trees stop making oxygen or something what do the trees do no they're just like all, cut, all the trees are cut down it's just oh. like an environmental message like we shouldn't let capitalists i just figured that the lorax movie would us. be
0: weird i know the lorax book story yes people are gonna think i'm dumb because i said <laughs> did the tree stop making oxygen in the lorax <laughs> and i i meant for the movie where the main character is voiced by like danny devito right i haven't
1: seen the movie I've just seen, like, the, I've read the book, and then there's, like, the, is it a TV special from, like, the 60s or something? Mm, probably. I think it was done around the same time as, like, The Grinch, and it's that. And that one's kind of sad.
0: Speaking of The Grinch, there was a Grinch trailer before there this was movie. A Gr-
1: the trailers before this movie were so weird, because there was a Grinch trailer by the people who made Despicable Me, and then there was, like, this movie with Will Arnett and all the animals are speaking, and it's very creepy looking, and it looks really bad.
0: Yeah. And at the end, they slap a big thing on there that's like
1: like from the crew that brought you
0: Beverly Hills Chihuahua, and you're just
1: like, oh, God, thank you. I'm I okay. got to watch it. I loved that magnum opus. Yeah. So. <laughs> I bet you did. I really did. <laughs> anyway that anyway, was a little bit that tangible. was uh, I'm so yeah. sorry. yeah see we got to do a fun warm-up so now we're here <laughs> so you and i talked about kind of after watching the movie that we enjoyed it a lot but in the wake of isle of dogs's release there's been a lot of pushback because anderson has i think rightfully been accused of being racially insensitive and doing some cultural appropriation and so you know we should probably bring that up yeah you know
0: i really did enjoy seeing this movie in the theater it's I guess I'm just kind of a sucker for stop motion to begin with. I think it's a very interesting kind of style and I just enjoy it. But I suppose I was especially frustrated because so many of the issues with this film could have been handled with very, very minor changes Yeah. and it would have been okay. But it's these tiny little things that are just missteps that make me... I came out of the theater half going, wow, that was really beautiful and I'm very happy that I saw it. But at the same time going but really? Yeah. These are the problems that had to come up because these are these are things that seem to be so in the public conscious right now. Mm. And I guess we'll get more specific and then I'll get more into it.
1: Yeah. So basically what Anderson does at the beginning of the movie, he says that, you know, all barks will be translated into English, but basically any Japanese characters we're not going to put any subtitles. There will either be, you'll just hear them speak and not know what they're saying or they're going to be dubbed over by this english-speaking character voiced by francis mcdormand and so that kind of creates this larger issue of you know anderson is recreating an entire nation and really i mean he's very influenced by like Hayao miyazaki and kurosawa and so he's really heavily borrowing from japan but even though he's borrowing so much at the same time he's writing these very stereotypical japanese characters And it's kind of in a way saying, like, the dogs... It's worth translating what dogs have to say, but Japanese people were not going to translate that. It's not worth it, kind of. Yeah. And so it's kind of backhanded to, you know, do this huge quote-unquote homage, but also kind of trivialize Japanese culture in a way, not really respectfully portray it.
0: Now, I wonder, is that disclaimer in the Japanese version of this movie? I'm not sure if this movie is out in Japan, because if you're a Japanese person, you can speak Japanese. So this would be, like watching a movie where the the dogs are subtitled but then you already understand what yeah, the people I do are wonder saying what that would look like. I'm really curious to see what and I I'm going to try and seek this out just the the Japanese perspective of this. I mean, I've read Japanese Americans who have reviewed the film and who have said a lot of the things that we're saying, you mm-hmm. know, it's appropriative, it's insensitive, but I want to see what the like the Japanese island persons perspective is. Yeah on this film mm-hmm. if they enjoy it or not yeah. or if they think it's insensitive.
1: I just think it is. Yeah, it is very tricky and I think very risky of Anderson to, because, I mean, this story, I think, could be easily told if it took place in America and it was just like a future dystopian America and, you know, this sort of thing were happening. So I think it is pretty ambitious of him to be like, no, I'm going to take, you know, this nation that I'm not part of that I maybe appreciate for movies or like vacations, whatever, just kind of recreate that. It just seems like not a super smart move i feel like you have to have kind of more of a delicate understanding because to me i feel like the whole japanese setting it's kind of there almost just for art's sake and it's very exoticized it just i don't know and it really took me out of it a lot of the time too because i would get really mad when they would be having francis mcdormand you know dubbing over or you don't know what they're saying and it would really take me out of the movie because i was just like if he just put subtitles or i don't know tried to put some sort of extra effort rather than just do this as like a stylistic choice it would have I think there would still be discussions about, you know, cultural appropriation, but I think there would still be that extra effort that was shown that might, you know, make it come across a little bit better. So that's frustrating.
0: It's funny. We've talked a little bit about this in our previous Wes Anderson episodes where we say, you know, these movies are quirky and goofy and whatever, and they have sometimes these characters who are a little bit complex. Usually they're pretty surface level, but we've always walked away saying the movie doesn't ever leave you with a really big emotional punch. It's yeah. always kind of withdrawn. And this film, just because of the nature of, I guess, dogs in movies, usually there's something emotional that happens, like a dog dies, mm-hmm. or a dog finds, like, love with a family, or it it's welcomed, or it, there's, something, there's something that happens that's emotionally yeah. moving. And there are bits of this movie that are yeah. very much like this. But our main character, Atari, is this twelve year old boy. One of the dogs has a great line where he's worried, you know, that the the boy doesn't like him, and then another dog says, You're he's a twelve year old boy and you're a dog. They love those. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's really cute. But then these scenes where Atari and Chief, the Brian Cranston dog, are interacting, Atari says things, but they're not translated. So we don't know yeah. what he's saying. We just kind of get Brian Cranston's goofy reactions to them. And maybe you see the dog tear up a little bit and you all see the boy tear up, but you don't hear what the kid says. And I think if you really knew what he was saying Mm -hmm. to the dog, he's all alone on an island with no way off, an island filled with trash and rabid animals. He's probably thanking the dog or saying something that would be very emotionally punchy, but we miss all of that when he's not translated.
1: Yeah. And I feel like Anderson might even himself. I haven't really, I wonder, I'm sure there'll be interviews coming up that people will ask him about what he thinks of, you know, the claims that... Have been made in a lot of these reviews, but I do wonder, like, if in his mind he was just thinking, like, dogs don't really know what we're saying, so maybe that's why we don't need subtitles because, like, the dog doesn't know, and it's from their perspective for the most part. So I guess that could be argued, but at the same time, it inherently is saying, like, what a dog is thinking or what they're saying is more important than someone you know who is actually speaking. So that's tricky.
0: And I mean, this isn't an issue we have with a movie like Fantastic Mr. Fox, where Mm -hmm. it takes place in England. The animals are translated and they can't be like, we're not going to translate the humans because for a Western audience, we can already understand them. This is a big issue that we have with this movie. And that would be a very simple fix to say, subtitles.
1: Yeah, subtitles, for the most part, would make a big difference. But it just, I think the problem is it's not even just, it kind of just creates so many other complex issues that just stem from that. And so I think that's kind of a big mistake. Just this small thing could have fixed a lot of things, so... That's hard. And I do think it undercuts because this movie, I mean, it is trying to be, like, one of those touching boy and his dog sorts of movies. Like, that's well established. I think it's a really moving part of the story. But at the same time, it does. I think this racial insensitivity undercuts that a lot. And then you also have this side plot where Greta Gerwig's character Tracy is kind of this white savior. She's trying to solve this corrupt thing. And it's very tone deaf. And I think the movie, what it ultimately kind of wants to be is almost – It wants to be a timely movie, in that her character is kind of saying, like, with enough activism, social change, we can, you know, not even, not necessarily like overthrow a corrupted leader, but it's just like, I know we can work together to make some kind of change. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what it's trying to say, but because it is done in this white savior way, and then you have it backed with all this other racial insensitivity, it doesn't have that punch that I think Anderson was going for.
0: Yeah, so these are a couple of things that can be that can be fixed again very easily, right? We have this issue of a white savior, and it shocks me. I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, just about this movie, and mm-hmm. it's just reverberating around in my brain. <laughs> the fact that they have a white savior complex in this movie that has. Is it four screenwriters, three or four screenwriters who have written a ton of stuff? And I think
1: it's just, I thought it was just Anderson, and then there's like a lot of producers, but...
0: Well, I'm pretty sure that he co-wrote it with, um, uh, what's I his name? Wrong. Mr. I think... Something Coppola, I can, I
1: can look. I think, yeah, maybe Roman Coppola. Roman I Coppola and Jason Schwartzman.
0: Did one of the Wilsons help or no? I think it was uh, Jason Schwartzman. Okay.
1: I think I was looking at Wikipedia, because I think Wikipedia said that it was just... Writer. Wrote it record. was
0: written by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, Kunichi Nomura...
1: People are saying that the Japanese screenwriter was there not necessarily crafting ideas with them, but more just to like for the Japanese dialogue, which I don't know if that's true. I might have to look that up, but I do wonder about that.
0: So this is what frustrates me is it's a movie that's got a star-studded cast of people who have worked in Hollywood forever, who have been seeing movies and studying movies, and especially Anderson, who his whole thing is referencing other films and being like, I know movies and I can reference them and I can show my, like how they've influenced me. But then you have the same person who then puts in a, a subplot like a white savior thing when mm. they've probably seen that in movies hundreds of times. Yeah. So these are people who don't have any excuse to be like, "Oh, well, I didn't think about that."
1: Yeah, right? exactly. Right. It's like
0: this this is something you should know about and something that you should be frustrated by yeah. and you should work to not put in your own your own things. Yeah. So, I don't know if it just seems really tone deaf and it seems it's surprising. I'm surprised that someone – I don't know. I guess I'm even surprised that Greta Gerwig, who's somebody who's been working in movies for a long time now, mm-hmm. would kind of
1: go along with it. Not that yeah. – I mean, not that she wrote it, but she did act in it. So. Yeah. What I was thinking, too, I mean, if you think about it, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, and Frances McDormand have all starred in movies that have been accused of being racially insensitive. Like, you have Frances McDormand with Three Billboards. You have Johansson with Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. And then you have who's the third person? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. And so, when you have three actors that are affiliated with not really grasping, I guess, racial politics very well, and then you have a movie that's also racially insensitive, you kind of just feel like no one really realizes, and there's so much in their privilege that they can't kind of take a step back, and it does feel a little bit ironic for McDormand because she just did this speech about the inclusion writer and being really diverse, but then she's in two movies that are racially insensitive, so it's really. I don't know, yeah, a lot the, of misguided things with this movie. Yeah,
0: misguided and I would say even uh, slightly hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not even slightly, just hip- hypocritical Very choices. Hypocritical. In that, I would say you mentioned this kind of message about social change and they're trying to embrace this other, right, they're mm-hmm. talking about this, these dogs, they're rabid, they're horrible. They talk about how the city, uh, the mayor, his family loves cats. They yeah. talk about the how the people embrace cats over dogs because of the canine flu that's happened. So they have this story about trying to bridge this gap and bring back these others and welcome them back into society. And, you know, that's a non-bigoted message at its core. But this non-bigoted message is wrapped up in an insensitive, I guess, wrapping paper.
1: Yeah, because you're saying, like, we shouldn't other people while you're othering an entire nation still. And, I mean, Japanese culture is already very marginalized and very there are limited representations of it in American cinema. And so then you have this thing that is so indebted to Japan for the most part, but it's so wrong the way it's portrayed. So it's just infuriating to me.
0: Just along those lines, I actually wrote down a list of specifics so that we're not just kind of generalizing (laughs) and being like, oh yes, it's insensitive. But but how, Aiden and Blake? What are you (laughs) saying? So I just wrote down some specific choices. I think what Anderson and likely the other screenwriters were attempting to do was to evoke imagery that we as uh, maybe... Not super culturally educated Westerners would recognize about Japan. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the lowest common denominator yeah. of Japanese iconography. So they chose to poison one of the doctors at one point. And uh-huh. they have this poison they've concocted that they're going to use to kill the dogs on the island because, you know, in the story, things are getting a little out of hand. The government is having trouble, you know, keeping the dogs on the island yeah. and whatnot. So they create a poison that's a very, very powerful poison and they call it wasabi poison. Mm-hmm. It's not explained if it's made from wasabi or if it's just because it's green or yeah. spicy or whatever, but it's called wasabi poison. One uh-huh. of the few Japanese words Westerners are going to recognize. Yeah. There's a couple of bodyguards who directly work for the mayor mm-hmm. at one point. They are both sumo wrestlers. Mm. Yeah. Another very obvious kind of choice. Yeah. This is a Japanese thing that Westerners know. Sumo yeah. wrestling. Big uh-huh. guys. They're strong. <laughs> They'll be wrestlers. Sure. And then there's this use of Americanized Japanese words that I noticed a few times, the city in Japan is called Megasaki, yeah. which is just kind of saying, you know, so Saki is this kind of, I, I'm not sure what it means in Japan, but it is a Japanese, part of a Japanese word at least, mm-hmm. or Japanese syllables, and then just the word mega as a prefix. Yeah. Because it's a big city. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. I mean, the message gets across, but they could have. It could have been Tokyo. It could have just been Tokyo. It could have been Kyoto. Anything. Yeah. And or they could have just said the the. They could have even said the Japanese mega city of Tokyo mm-hmm. because it's the future and it's bigger. Yeah. And then the main character's name is Atari, uh-huh. which I've read is not actually a Japanese word, but was a Japanese-sounding word that was come up with by Americans for the mm. game company Atari, the video yeah. game systems. Those are my examples.
1: Yeah, and that's just that's just a testament to. I mean, Anderson, even though while he might you know say that he appreciates Japanese culture he's being willfully ignorant in a lot of ways and even I was kind of disturbed I guess that's maybe a dramatic word but even there's just like this small instance where a Japanese character says like biscotto or something just like I think the funny thing of like how you know that it means biscuit but it's Japanese whatever and like the whole audience laughs and you're basically just laughing at a joke about a different language I guess there's almost just like a running gag like we don't know what they're saying and so that Kind of makes it funny, which is weird, you know? Right. I mean, that is
0: how some American words are translated to Japanese. Yeah, Using, exactly. like, katakana characters, they will do that, and you'll have or There's, like, the word for hot dog is very close to hot dog with, yeah. like, a couple extra syllables. Hamburger is the same way. But, yeah, it is kind of turned into this joke because he's not subtitled. If, it, if he was yeah, saying exactly. biscuito, but then they had subtitles that said biscuit, it probably wouldn't be as funny Yeah. or funny at all. Exactly. Which I guess he yeah. wanted those to be jokes. Even not just that little thing. It's just very bothersome. <laughs> yeah, so see these are again pretty small issues. Yeah. If the if the guards, the sumo wrestlers were just kind of normal dudes wearing black tuxedos like you'd see a security detail in real life, that's an easy fix. A poison could be anything. They could have even chose a real po- a poison, a real poison. It could have even been Like uh, if they had done like a fugu poison, which is a real thing from an actual fish,
1: which is also Japanese food. It would have been a
0: little better, I
1: think. It's just one of those things, I mean, we're not even saying that like he can't have a film set in Japan. But if you are going to do it, don't do it in like an Americanized disrespectful way. Yeah, and I think
0: especially when you're someone who has you're making, you have your, your run up to the movie during the promotional cycles. They're like, oh, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dog is heavily inspired by the films of Akira Kurosawa and how Miyazaki and all of these really important filmmakers mm-hmm. who are from Japan and they under, they have a deep understanding of the culture and what they're trying to represent on their screen. Mm-hmm. Probably is, you know, fictionalized and sensationalized, but it's not this, it's not through a Western lens. It's from a Japanese exactly. lens. So they don't have to, you know, they don't have to go and do research yeah. about
1: it. So it's true. There you go, Wes. Hope there you're you listening. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should even we should talk about things that we did like about the movie because yeah, we sure. both did enjoy it. Yeah, even no, though we had these huge. This issues. is like this
0: is why I'm so riled up because yeah. at my core, I really did enjoy this movie a lot, yeah. and it gave me a lot of. It, there were a lot of laughs. Yeah, I laughed a lot. Very beautiful. I could. I. Felt smart, I guess, because I recognized some of the references to yeah. Japanese films. So I felt like my knowledge kind of paid off for mm. this.
1: Yeah, such a tug of war with this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, it is really well crafted. Yeah. A huge respect to like all the animators and people who yeah. made this vision it's happen stunning. because it's really, really something.
1: I think this is his most visually spectacular movie. Like, I was just blown away nonstop. I 100% agree with you because I always am. I do feel like that usually with stop motion anyway. Because I think I've said this in a previous episode. But most movies you just like have a set, or whatever, whereas like every single thing in a stop motion thing is constructed just for this purpose and you can't like go visit it or anything. It's made just for this purpose and so it feels like extra special and it looks great. So yeah. kudos to everyone who designed it.
0: I'm curious how large the stop motion mm-hmm. characters were that they used for this film. Because I saw I'm some really pictures curious. of the Fantastic Mr. Fox ones and they were some of them were about a foot tall. Some um, of the ones for close ups were very large puppets. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm curious because they look small, but they could be really big because they're pretty
1: detailed. I'm curious. I feel like I'd I'd honestly get the DVD just to see, like, a behind-the-scenes featurette just with, like, (laughs) a couple shots of, you know, what it looked like making it. But, yeah, there's so many, like, good touching scenes. I really love there's a part in it where Atari bathes the character Chief, who we discover after, like, he's getting a bath. He's a black dog, but then we find that he's just super dirty. And he's actually a white white dog with little black spots. Yeah. And that part's so sweet because Chief has developed as, you know, he's a stray dog. And so he has kind of this, he try. you can tell that he is someone who, he can be heartfelt when he needs to be. But for the most part, he has kind of hardened himself and has tried not to get too connected to anything because he's so used to, you know, not having a very good life. And so you have this and then like after he gets the bath, like Atari hugs him and stuff. You can feel kind of his ice heart thawing. And that whole thing is so touching and seeing Atari's relationship build with Chief as the movie goes along. I really enjoyed that a lot. I don't even know if these scenes are touching, but there were just like a lot of really memorable moments in this movie, too. I like there's a meeting early on with Chief and his love interest, Nutmeg, who's voiced by Scarlett Johansson. We don't see a lot of her, but she's kind of this kind of cool female type who is a purebred show dog. And so you have a couple moments where she'll do like some crazy trick. And she's like, oh, well during this, imagine me juggling A nine pounds. She's bowling like a nine ball. pound ball. Yeah. And there's like a little bubble with like an animated version of her. And those are super funny. And then there's like one scene that i liked a lot too where you just watch a sushi preparing or a sushi chef preparing sushi oh, that's from incredible. overhead. And that was so incredible. I like the I parallel that. between
0: that scene of the chef preparing the sushi and you know, chopping up the fish and the crab with then the later parallel of Atari receiving the organ donation yeah. from the mayor, which is also shot from directly overhead, like most things in West Anderson movies. <laughs> and you see, this, the, that, that was very comical, how yeah. fast they do the organ trans, trans I love um, it. what am I saying?
1: Organ transplant? Transplant. God, yeah. I don't I just <laughs>
0: lost my entire brain. I lose my brain all the time. <laughs> but it's comical because you see a kidney transplant from one person to another and you see them both get stitched up in everything in yeah. the operating room and it takes place in about hmm, four to five seconds. Yeah. Very quick surgery.
1: Those are super funny.
0: I want to actually uh, correct myself and just say that this is a case of don't ever believe everything that you read on the internet, especially uh-huh. when you're riled up about something like I was last night and reading about, reading uh, reviews uh, so I did say that somebody claimed that Atari was a, a word that a couple of white uh-huh. guys made up to name their company. That's not true. Atari is actually a Japanese word. It comes from the board game Go. It means to hit the target or to receive something fortuitously. Mm, wow, look at that. So my apologies for that.
1: How dare you. Yes. Well, it's good to correct that, always.
0: I still question whether Wes Anderson learned the word Atari from the game system or if he learned it from the I word it's from, the the game game from the game Go. Based
1: on what he does in this movie... I would not be surprised. So (laughs) I'll cut him some slack for this thing. Maybe I'll trust him (laughs) for now, but we can't really say. So Aiden. Yes. (laughs) Would you like to, since you usually do the fun facts for Anderson episodes, do you want to give me a couple? I appreciate it so much. I would be
0: honored. (laughs) I would be very honored to take your place as the fun facts czar. (laughs) one of course has some good ones because as we know all stop motion movies have long production cycles so there's a lot of time for them to kind of ferment and prepare even in the run-up the hair of the dogs in this movie of the dog puppets is made out of alpaca wool
1: oh wow yeah i wonder how much like alpaca wool was used like if you were to like weigh it you know I'd yeah, love that's a good that question. Out. Let's find out.
0: Probably not much weight. You know, it's interesting. Did you notice how whenever the characters would dust themselves off, all the dust was wool? Oh my God, I was love wool. That. It was wool. It was like, it looked like felt almost. It was probably also yeah.
1: wool. No, I love that running joke when there would be like this big, like, like this huge fight, kind of a rumble, and then there would be just like, Well, surrounding it like you would see in almost like a cartoon. That was super funny.
0: So this is another one. Uh, Jeff Goldblum recorded his lines over the phone in California, apparently. Because of scheduling conflicts, he couldn't go to England.
1: (laughs) Who does he play? He plays like the gossipy dog, right? He plays the gossipy dog. He's like the Nancy Grace of (laughs) (laughs) the group. Yeah. Uh, This is his eighth collaboration with Bill Murray. Oh, wow. Wait, Anderson or Goldblum? Anderson, right? Anderson. Okay, Anderson's I was gonna say, eighth
0: collaboration with Bill
1: Murray. So if you're talking about Goldman for a second, I was like, what other movies are they in? And what can, when can I start watching them?
0: <laughs> this is the second Wes Anderson film that has had no involvement from Owen Wilson.
1: Oh, Owen. That's so sad. What was the other one? I think it was... Was it Moonrise Kingdom? I don't know. Maybe.
0: I think it was Moonrise Kingdom.
1: <laughs> we'll say that. I don't know. Don't quote us. <laughs> I'm going to start saying don't quote me to e- everything I say now so that no one can hold me accountable wow. if I say something wrong.
0: That's very. That's a very bold choice for you. <laughs> uh, just kidding. And then this Isle of Dogs has set the record now as the current longest stop motion film to mm. be made. It beats Coraline by two minutes. Oh, uh,
1: wow. Yeah. How long is it? It's an hour like 40, right? Or 41? Mm, I can look at the runtime.
0: <laughs> it I hope is... I'm right.
1: Fingers crossed. Wow. One hour 41.
0: Whoa. Very nice. My mind. Wow. <laughs> you know, speaking of Coraline, I think we're going to have Celia back to do an episode on Coraline. Oh. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite
1: stop books.
0: Stop motion <laughs> I love the book. The movie's good too.
1: Oh. But. Wow.
0: I'd love to talk about more stop motion movies I'm very on this ready. podcast. I've
1: not seen as many as I should have considering how much I usually like them.
0: Well, I think we've gone on long enough. Do you have anything else you want
1: to talk about? I think we've kind of covered most of the ground yeah. that I wanted to cover. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think that I, I hope that Wes Anderson kind of learns from the reception of this. I mean, I'm, the movie has been very well received. It's yeah. gotten, it's been reviewed very well. But I just hope that some of these kind of dissenting opinions reach him yeah. because I don't want him to stop making stop motion movies. I don't yeah. want him to stop making movies because he is, well, he. I mean, he is making movies that aren't just like a gray hellscape. <laughs> like, it's not like he's making something that looks like the Marvel movies or like yeah. the DC movies right now. He's making colorful Films with kind of different stories, which yeah. I think is needed. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't want to say like, oh, Wes Anderson's a really terrible guy. I just <laughs> want him, you know, I, I just yeah. want him to learn, <laughs> yeah. which is almost like saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You yeah, know, so it's no, exactly. worse, but
1: come on, man. Well, it's like one of those things where, I mean, you know, his intentions weren't negative at all. But I think it is one of those cases where even if your intentions aren't negative, they can still be harmful. So I think hopefully it'll reach him. I do. I mean, I do hope that the conversation you know, about what he does wrong here does gain some momentum, I guess, because I don't want it to be one of those things where, you know, oh, because this movie's so nice to look at or whatever, that it's just gonna be kind of swept under the rug of what mm-hmm. what bad things have been done. So I do want there to be a lot more conversation. There's been some good stuff I really recommend reading Justin Chang's review of the movie in the Los Angeles Times. That was kind of like the one that I think started a lot of the conversation. So definitely check that out. I know The Ringers published a couple good articles about it. And then Rolling Stone recently published an article called like how do you solve a problem like Isle of dogs where right the... and
0: you know I read that article and I don't know if I would recommend reading it because the author well I guess maybe re- yeah I'd recommend reading it read I it read anything it, yeah. be smart but I mean <laughs> I read it and I disagreed with a point that the author made very early on mm. in, in the article he says that the withholding of the dialogue from the Japanese characters you know not subtitling them yeah. is like a bold move by Anderson and then it is that it is a jab at Western audiences when I don't think that it, it yeah. is that.
1: Yeah. No, so. I think yeah, that article is imperfect, but I do like it how it it kind of does, I think, speak to a lot of how I felt about how you have these conflicting feelings about you. you do like it, but there's also a lot of things that, you know, make you feel conflicted. So I think that, even though it does have a couple missteps I think in the writing, it still does bring up some pretty good points. So I'd say look at those. Maybe I'll even close those in my recommendations. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I think that brings us around to final thoughts.
1: Final thoughts. I think this movie is beautifully constructed. I think the voice acting is pretty excellent for the most part. I mean, these actors are so good at conveying these kind of ridiculous lines. They're very kind of ironic and darkly comedic, and they just do a good job. But I do have a lot of reservations. I enjoyed it a lot, but there definitely is a lot that Anderson does wrong. I hope he doesn't do this sort of thing in the future and learns from his mistakes. We'll see.
0: I agree. I think that this is a, the kind of movie that if you want to go and see it and be like, yeah, this one was really great and very socially progressive, you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> uh, but this this film is basically like flipping through just a really thick, good coffee table book full of concept art. Yeah, it's seriously. It's amazing. And you can just feel the love that went into Even the lighting, Mm -hmm. the lighting, how each character looks, they do this great thing where whenever there's something that's happening on a television, the thing on the television isn't stop motion. It's hand-drawn animation. Yeah, So you get this weird kind of double lens of kind of this physical feeling reality, but then also you get a very two-dimensional thing Mm -hmm. within that reality. It's really cool. I highly recommend it. It's It's like the opposite of SpongeBob. Yeah. You know, in SpongeBob, they're 2D, but whenever they watch TV, it's this weird, It's like
1: real <laughs> video footage from real life of sea creatures. I always think of that one time where, like, SpongeBob is watching, like, a sea and enemy, and there's, like, this weird, like, swing music, and then Gary comes in, and he's like, oh, Gary, no. And it's like, is that. Is, yeah. Like, is SpongeBob porn? watching
0: pornography in is his watching living room?
1: porn? I don't understand. A lot of <laughs> <master> creators, but. <laughs>
0: It wouldn't surprise Shout me. Shout out to
1: SpongeBob. Shout out. Let's throw that in my recommendations. Watch SpongeBob.
0: Okay. Just do it. Great. <laughs> Great. I wouldn't even necessarily recommend this if you're somebody who's like, oh, I really love Japanese film. And yeah. I saw that all the promotional material was saying, oh, this is heavily inspired. It seems to just be kind of heavily inspired by a general Japanese aesthetic.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. The one,
0: I, I caught two Kurosawa nods. Mm-hmm. One of them is that they play a song from... Seven Samurai in the movie a couple Mm. of times. Yeah. It's just kind of like that. (laughs) So catchy. Um, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I recognized it. I've seen Seven Samurai a couple times.
1: Yeah, I did. I was like Like, Blake. Blake, I recognize this one.
0: (laughs) Uh, and then the other one is that there's a this kind of monk who takes care of this shrine, who you see a couple times. You see him at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, in front of this beautiful tapestry that kind of gives you some exposition about where we are in the story, and then you see him at the end of the movie taking care of Spots and Spots's wife dog. I guess they're just together. Like a poodle. I think she's a poodle. Oh, yeah. is she the mute poodle? She's Angelica. She's Angelica Houston. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> uh, but he, his character is. I don't know if this was intentional, but it I am almost convinced he's. Visually, almost exactly the King Lear character from uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ran, which is also a fantastic movie. It's, again, I always say this, it's great, (laughs) but it's three hours long, so make sure you've got time for it. I saw that movie, like a 4K restoration of it at Sith two years ago, and I'd never seen it, so that was my first time seeing it, and I was just blown away. I was exhausted by the end of it, but it was great. (laughs) So... Shall we do our recommendations? Uh, those were
1: your recommendations. <laughs> hmm? I those were your recommendations. No, those are my Seven final Samurai thoughts. I just went on a <laughs> big...
0: No. Well, Seven Samurai is one of my... I guess I'll go first. There you go, yeah. Seven Samurai is one of my Got recommendations. One of them out of the way. Of of the way. <laughs> and then just to stay on the dog theme, even though this movie is not about dogs, I will recommend that you watch the film Stray Dog. Which oh, is yeah. also Kurosawa. Love. I just want to recommend actual Japanese filmmakers <laughs> who, you know, Wes Anderson was yeah. inspired by, but who are going to be able to handle <laughs> the fact that they're making a movie about Japan. Mm-hmm. Stray Dog is, I mean, Seven Samurai is about seven samurai yes. who pr- have to protect <laughs> a village from bandits, and then they find that they have become irrelevant after the movie, and it's very sad but um. beautiful. Very good movie. And then Stray Dog. Is uh, Toshiro Mifune, who's also in Seven Samurai, and he's in like every Kurosawa movie. He plays a detective police officer, one of the two, and some thug steals his gun. And then he has to solve a mystery to retrieve his his gun because he gets in trouble with his superior. You let a criminal steal your firearm? Mm -hmm. Uh, So he tracks him down and he goes to a baseball game
1: to find a criminal. And it's very, very suspenseful. It's great. It's a good It's a good noir. Have you seen it? Yeah, you recommended it to me like way back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I'll check it out. In I've the pre-podcast times. Pre-podcast. Yeah, you were like, you check liked this it? out. I like, yeah, loved it. Yeah, it's Amazing. a cool movie. Yeah, that's no, great. Yeah. So <laughs> those are my recs. What yeah. you got? So I just went with a general... My favorite dog movie. Yes. Thing as one does. So I think this is probably they're both probably pretty obvious choices. Cause I feel like a lot of dog movies are very cheesy. I'm not mm-hmm. recommending Airbud, so sorry everyone. <laughs> um, sorry, Airbud fans. <laughs> and Air Buddy fans. Can't forget about all those sequels.
0: Is Air Buddy like Airbud's <gasps> son? Have you not? Oh my god. I saw Airbud
1: one time. They're sequels where it's like a group of golden retriever puppies, which I feel like. I don't even care if they're trash. I haven't seen them, but like, if I get to see a bunch of, you know, little puppies going crazy for like an hour and a half, that sounds good to me.
0: The little puppies that we see in Isle of Dogs are really uh, cute, and they're
1: not even real. Like an actual one, yeah. So sad.
0: And they're probably only about an inch long uh, in real life. Kills me. Oh, guys.
1: <sighs> anyway, <laughs> my recommendation one is Best in Show, which is a mockumentary about those who compete in dog shows and it's so funny it's a christopher guest movie so if you enjoyed this is spinal tap that's him everyone so i love that movie it never gets old it's super super funny great comedy and then another good one is my dog skip (laughs) with a very young frank i feel like frankie muniz in my mind just is young because i feel like he's been irrelevant since malcolm in the middle ended like a decade ago
0: what about agent cody banks
1: that was also i think that was before malcolm in the middle ended So really, just since then... He's obsolete.
0: Man, I caught the end of Agent Cody Banks 2 like on a TV in a restaurant not too long ago and it may, just made me sad.
1: I don't think I've seen them. Isn't Hilary Duff in one of them?
0: Yeah, she's in the first one. Like I movie. had that movie on DVD and
1: I watched really? it a lot of times. Look at yeah, I was you. really into it. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I should. Well, we should do an episode on that. I don't know. <laughs> one and two. One episode. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Maybe we'll do like
0: a, a short episode, like a 15 minute <laughs> one where we just go, yeah, it was bad.
1: <laughs> but My Dog Skip, it's very touching. It's like Frankie Muniz. I think in like 2001 to so like a child and I think it's in the 50s. I feel like I saw it so long ago but it's in I think 50s or 60s and it's just about this lonely boy and his relationship with his dog and it's so cute and nice but it has of course a typically bittersweet ending. that the usually dog comes dies, with huh? A dog ending. Yeah. They always do that. Can't a dog just live forever? Did you ever see Turner and Hooch? I've not. Oh, that man. dog looks cute though. That I really dog... want to hang out with him. You
0: know the trope in like buddy cop movies where they get into a showdown, a shootout at the end with the bad guys. Yeah. And then one buddy cop jumps in front of the other buddy cop and goes,
1: no, and gets yeah. shot a bunch of times and dies. Does the dog that's die? what the dog does? Are you kidding me? I the, would way rather Tom Hanks die. The dog, the dog,
0: the dog jumps in front of bullets to save Tom Hanks' oh life God. in Turner and Hooch.
1: It is trash. It
0: is bananas. I'm not watching it. It should I didn't have been like Tom it. Hanks
1: jumping in front of the dog. <laughs> Protect that dog. <laughs> what dog is that? A Mastiff? Uh, is it
0: like a, is it a, it might be, I think it's a Mastiff. I'm not yeah. positive. It's a, he's got a, a drool thing.
1: Hmm. That's Seems charming Mastiff. to me. Yeah. He's cute. Cute dog. Wow. All right. I think that's it for that's me. That's it. I think we're good. I think we are very good. <laughs> Well,
0: thanks so much to everybody who's been listening. It's been a wild many, many weeks Mm -hmm. of recording just Wes Anderson movies. So I think we're both kind of ready to move on to something else. He's canceled. (laughs) I mean, for us, he is kind of canceled. I've blocked him out of my mind. Goodbye. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Well. By goodbye, I mean, it's time for the sign off. So <laughs> if you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. You can also listen on our website, uwpodcast.com. where We've got a bunch of other great shows like Home Plates and Pillow Talk and The Box Seat, which is a sports podcast. Oh man, and we've got more fun stuff coming up on the way can follow us on twitter at the film cast you can find us on our personal accounts at aiden walker or at blake w peterson if you want to write to us with a suggestion for a movie for us to talk about or just want to share your thoughts with us even about isle of dogs which sounds like we still are talking about and probably will be for a while. I hope you can send us an email at cinemaadventurepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with a friend so we can get the word out on it. If you really want to help us, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, because that's really the way uh, we can kind of start showing up in those recommended categories and people get their eyeballs on our lovely blue album artwork. Thank you so much for listening and we'll
1: see you next time. Yeah, go hug your dog. Bye. <laughs> Did you know Peruvians have their own type of Chinese food? Or that Vietnamese food is heavily influenced by French cuisine? Have you ever wondered what other cultures' drunk food is like? Explore these topics and more right here on the Soundbite Network. My name is Dee, Dee Madigan, and I'm the host of Home Plates, a podcast all about food. Catch up on the first season of Home Plates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. New episodes air every Wednesday. Seahawks of the best offensive line in NFL history.
0: Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Foltz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag
1: trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things. But if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta
0: every Friday on the SoundBite Network.